Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. And welcome back for another episode of Millionaire Secrets. I'm excited to be back with you once again. Grateful, humbled, and blessed that today I have life and a voice and I get to show up with you guys. And I'm really grateful, humbled, and blessed by our guest today, whose name is Alex Mayer, pretty high-achieving dude, a.k.a. Alex Mayer, Ph.D. Uh, probably Thanks a guy that, me, Yeah, of course. Probably a guy that doesn't need much introduction. He's the president of like 732 different companies, uh, one of which I guess he's not the president of anymore because he sold it for $300 million. He used to be a NASA scientist. He walked out of the desert and into an amazing life, and he's got just stories that – I don't need to do him a disservice by being the one to tell. Alex, thanks for being on Millionaire Secrets. Thanks for having me. Um, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you straight up, maybe a little bit of like a fan geek moment. I've been seeing your mentor box ads in my Facebook feed for as long as I can remember, at least as long as I've been a, a, a student of Facebook ads and I've, I've been – ad hacking and funnel hacking Facebook marketers. Uh, that offer was one of the first ones. I took every one of those upsells, by the way. I think there were seven uh, at the time. I reduced, I made it shorter, but yes. Okay, well yeah, my $7, my $7 cart turned into like a $600 cart or something, but great, great marketing. And I always respect great marketing and I respect great marketers and I respect, respect great entrepreneurs and, uh, you're in all those categories. So with, I'd like to back up before that though, right? I mean, that's the, that's the brochure, man. That's the Alex Mayer that everybody knows. Um, but your story begins, as I understand it, uh, in Iran. That's and right. I assume if you walked from Iran to Turkey, which I understand that you did, that it was not necessarily, it wasn't a vacation. It was under some sort of duress or fleeing something maybe. Like, tell me the story there. So that's when I immigrated to the United States. And um, at the time, I mean, still to this day, if you want to immigrate to the United States from Iran, there's no American embassy in Iran. So you have to go to a different country. <laughs> and um, uh, we decided, me and uh, one of my friends, who actually ended up being my roommate in grad school and then my business partner in my first startup, Zeus, um, uh, we basically decided to go to Turkey to go to American embassy and apply for student visa to come to America. That's something that I had been dreaming about doing since I was literally five years old. If you ask me uh, what you want to do when you grow up, I would have told you uh, I wanted to uh, go to America and become a NASA scientist, literally at the age of five. I would have huh. told you that. And I did that. I, I, it's funny enough. I mean, in life, a lot of times you have dreams that you cannot accomplish. But somehow, through pure luck, a lot of times, I ended up actually achieving that dream. And part of that was actually immigrating to the United States. So, um, yeah. And at the time, the uh, relationship between Iran and Turkey, uh, there was a, I mean, it was a little bit, uh, there, it was not a good relationship between the two countries. So there was no flights between the two countries. So me and my co-founder 
had to actually walk across the border from Iran to Turkey on foot. So <laughs> it's a, and then hitchhiked our way to the nearest town. It was literally in a, in nowhere land. I mean, is one way to describe it. It was like basically um, near the northwest corner of Iran, uh, border with Turkey. Right. Um, just a border post, two soldiers on one side and the military on both sides. And then a whole like demilitarized zone, if you will, like a, we, <laughs> we went in and we just walked across. I had a backpack and uh, my friend who became my co-founder, Cheyenne, he had a backpack and a suitcase, a roller bag. And I told them, why do you have a roller bag? Because we were carrying a roller bag on this gravelly road. <laughs> it was in a weird, like, I was like, it's like, yeah. I was like, just a backpack, one backpack allowed. But anyways. How, uh, how old were you at that time? 20. 20, okay. And, and, you know, the reason I went right to that story is, you know, the impetus of this show is to find the millionaire secret, right? Get successful people to hone in and, and through exploration and conversation, try to hone in on like what's the core that allowed certain people to achieve extraordinary results. And my gut told me, if a guy walked across the desert, you know, to, to start this journey, there's probably something there in, in which we can trace the roots of, of what he later achieved. And so what I'm hearing right out of the gate is like, you know, per, permission to dream and actually go after it. Yes. How many, exactly. I, I, uh, go ahead. So, you know, things that, good things that happen in your life actually happen in three, three different times. You think good events in your life happens once, but no, they happen three times. The first time it happens in your head. It's purely in your head, all right? Big things. First has to happen in your head. And I can tell you from my own experience, every time I saw someone very, very successful, like, you know, outliers, I'm not talking about average successful, I'm talking about outlier, outlier. They imagined what they accomplished later in life first in their head, okay? So that's the first time that, that it happens. The second time that you make something, the same thing happens. It happens in reality, but the rest of the world does not acknowledge it yet. It is about to happen or it has just happened, and you know it is happening or has just happened, but the rest of the world hasn't acknowledged it. And the third time that it happens, is when the rest of the world for the first time sees it in the hindsight. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so really all good things happen three times. First time in your head, second time in reality, but it is only your reality. And third time, the rest of the world acknowledges it. That's, uh, that's powerful. And so, and of course I'm thinking through my life and mapping that model to it and just, yeah, it's totally true. When did you have that realization, which obviously told you, hey, I need to convert this, this mental event into a physical event? When did that, when did you, that hit you? It, it, so, it, I mean, so it's funny because since I was a kid, I, I was always a dreamer. So it's not like, you know, I trained myself to be a dreamer. Um, I've kind of done that all my life, like I said, when I was five. So, I mean, my, I lived two distinct lives. Uh, my first, the first part of my life was actually in academia and science all the way to I was until I was like 
25 or 26. So um, I didn't grow up in a business oriented family. I grew up in a, in an academic family where uh, money and business was not something that was necessarily, you know, was held in high regards. Instead, it was academic achievement. It was being good until and like really good intellectually. That was kind of like the environment I grew up with. So until 25 or 26, I was not really into business. And for that first part of my life, really everything I've done and I've, you know, I've done very well. I mean, for, you know, in the, in that particular environment, uh, I always imagined it first and I, and I didn't have to, you know, nobody told me that I just knew that I, okay, I wanted to go to America and be a work for NASA. I had that, I had that dream since I was five. I really did. Uh, so, and then what happens is that first you imagine it and then every little thing that you do throughout the day kind of automatically goes in that direction. So mm -hmm. you don't, it doesn't have to be even conscious. If you have actually internalized that image, okay, then every day, every, you, we make thousands of decisions every day, thousands. Like deciding to listen to this podcast or watch TV is a decision that someone made, right? So the accumulation, accumulation of those uh, decisions is what determines the course of your life. So you, but then if you have imagined, internalize an image of what success actually means to you, you know, those micro decisions you're making automatically are more likely to be correct decisions. So they kind of guide it, your, your direction in life. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, that makes, it makes, not to be cheesy, but it doesn't just make sense. It makes dollars, but it, it makes perfect sense to me. And, and what I find is the I will say for myself, I think every, that, what you just said applies to everyone. Yes. But for me, my dreams, my visions, and for, for whatever reason, might just be wiring, my emotional intensity around those dreams is very high. Yes. So then every single little micro decision that makes up my day is just dominated by the way I feel and the intensity and the drive around my, my vision or my yeah. dreams. Yeah. Some people, I think it's less, right? It's more of like a, like a flat, neutral, maybe a, something they had in the past. Or, so you're obvious, I'm guessing you're a person like me where it's, you can't get away from it. Yeah, I, 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 I encourage you guys to actually uh, look up, a, there's a clip from Conor McGregor, former UFC champion. Everybody mm -hmm. knows Conor McGregor. Of course. Uh, he's doing an interview after he won the, won the championship belt for the first time, I think. There's an interview, just Google it, it's, it's right there. And he says, the reporter asks him, um, becoming a champion wearing this belt, did it feel different? Like, were you surprised? Were you happy? Were you excited? And he's like, this is exactly how I imagined it to be. I had heard this voice of the crowd. I had imagined me wearing this belt for many, many years. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he had that moment, that moment, championship moment, imagine many years ago in his head, again, going to my thing that everything happens three times. The first time it happened in his head, right? He imagined it, but he did not have the skill set or he was not in the right position in, in life to go and do it the next day. It took many years to get to that point. 
The second time that it happened was actually the night before winning that championship. That night, he knew he was going to defeat the, uh, the opponent. He was like, I have the skills. I have made it to this point. It has already happened to me in reality. Okay? So you go into that ring knowing that you're going to win. That's the second time it has happened. So he became a champion three times. First time in his head. The second time right before he walked into that ring. And the third time when he actually did it in front of everybody else and then everybody else acknowledged it. Happened three times. People think it happens for the first time when they are putting that belt around his waist. But in reality, that's happened twice already. So, so, So for you... You know, you mentioned Conor McGregor. I mean, his his ascension to winning the the UFC you know title probably isn't any more of a dramatic arc than you coming from an academic family in Iran to become that. Never mind all your business accomplishments, just to become a NASA scientist in the United States, right? And so, I guess this it's the same question that I would ask Conor McGregor is like. How do you coach that? How do you teach that? How do you give people the combination of confidence? And I don't know, frankly, if it's a confidence and a certainty of being able to do a thing or if it's a fear of the regret of a life where you didn't. I don't actually know. But either way, how do you, how do you get that into people? Because it changes everything. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Uh, you know, there's also the question of whether it's causative or it's a correlation. Right. But I tell you, I tell you this, anybody that I can think of who achieved outlier success had imagined that outlier success ahead of time. You can look at Rockefeller, just read the book Titan. Uh, You can look at anybody that I have seen or I've heard this story, they had the same common thread. So they imagined it, they believed it before it actually happened. I know it sounds a little bit cheesy, it sounds like you know, a mindset thing and a positive thinking thing, but I, it's not. It's but it is. It, it is. Well, I think it totally is, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's not really. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, it's not like I'm, I'm saying something just because, I mean, nobody knows if, if, if power of positive thinking is like a theory or is actual reality, right, but right. I can tell you data points that I have. It's not positive thinking. It's just imagining the end goal, basically. Right. i give you an example. Um, I was reading, there's a good book. Um, I, I'm uh, forgetting the name of the author, but it's called, it's called Stock Market Wizards. Okay, I was a trader many years ago, so I read a lot of stock market trading books. One of the better known ones is called, is called Stock Market uh, Wizards. And uh, the author of the book goes and interviews uh, the most successful traders, basically, that live today. Mm-hmm. And he was trading one of the, he was interviewing one of the very, very famous traders. And he asked him, you know, tell me about, you know, when you started training, one of the lessons that you learned. He said, I had a mentor and he was teaching me how to trade. So you have basically in a trade, you have an entry point and an exit point, right? So you, he basically entered the trade and then his mentor was in the room and he exited the trade and the trade worked exactly as, as, as uh, he had imagined it and he with positive results. And he started jumping up and down on, 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 the, on the table. His mentor told him, wait, what are you doing? Stop being overly excited. You should have imagined this successful trade ahead of time to the point where if it goes as you imagined it, 
it doesn't actually excite you because you you're like of course <laughs> right right that makes sense so it's 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 really if you want to be an outlier you see outliers you know when they when they actually achieve what they want to achieve they they kind of do i mean they succeed it, they, there's actually a term for it i don't know if you've heard it's called success amnesia so they acknowledge the moment but they instantly move on <laughs> does that make right. sense Right, and the yeah, reason yeah. for that is because they had imagined that moment so many times, and I cannot speak for everybody, but that's kind of like based on what I've observed. They've imagined that moment so many times that when it happens, they're almost like, of course. So, yeah. and they move on to the next one. And I, and I think those, those outlier people are so passionate about and even almost, you could maybe use the term addicted to the process that it's like, Okay, great. It's like Michael Jordan in the last dance. He's like, okay, I won the title. You know, everybody's happy. Let's get through the press conference. Okay, but when's practice? Like, they, they just love the work, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think about, you know, who I'm thinking about as you're talking is, is Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. Because I read in a, a conversation with, I say I read, I listened to a conversation with him where he was basically saying, you know, Tesla, there's so many, the whole early stage of Tesla, it was, it was generally considered to be a disastrous concept. It was not, it was not a high probability concept. Wall Street hated it, you know, all this stuff. And even he said, like, like quantitatively, it's, it, it kind of shouldn't have worked. And for a long time, I thought, at least on paper, it probably shouldn't work. But he was basically saying that he knew that he was the X factor. And that as long as he showed up in a way that he knew he could, and he made decisions that Wall Street would never predict because they're, they're quantitative analysts. They're not him. He's like, I knew there was like a, a je ne sais quoi about the whole thing that could, that could make it work that nobody else could see. But I knew because I'm me. I live in here. Yeah. And so that's why you, people talk about Tesla like it's this almost like this magical unicorn story. But you never hear Elon Musk really talking about it that way because it always made sense to him even when he was the only one. And really what's I think amazing about him is that he had the fortitude to not let all the doubting voices, because it was all happening so publicly, to just not let them get in and corrupt what he actually knew in his head. And, and, and so my question, and you know, to kind of take that and apply it to your life is, from five to 20, were there people in your life, that, like were you very discreet about sharing your vision or, if so, were there people that supported you? Were there doubters? Did you have to block people out? Like, what was that? What were those years like? Look, I, I mean, any, I grew up obviously in a different country, country, different culture. Right. But um, I, I, I don't particularly talk about things that I plan to do. Not that I, I'm secretive about it. I talk to, I don't, you know, scream from the rooftop that much. I, I prefer to get it done versus... <laughs> Talk about it. Uh, there is some benefit to talking about your dreams, by the way. It's, it's, it's social accountability. Yeah. So if you tell oh, yeah. people what you're planning to do, but it's just, it's, there's a balance, right? If you're just constantly talking about you, you're spending your entire energy doing it, then you don't actually get, get this stuff done. So, you, so there's, there's a balance there. I'm not saying be secretive, and I'm not also saying be overtly talkative. Like it just probably there's a balance in there. And again, I tell you that, I tell you this, uh, there were people in my life that, uh, doubted me. Uh, and I remember those moments and I, 
And I got a lot of energy from those, honestly. Like some of major turning point, points in my life, I have specific memories of people doubting me to be able to do something. Um, give you an interesting story. Um, you know, I, I, I actually like my physics teacher in high school. And I have a world silver medal in uh, physics Olympiads worldwide. Okay, mm. second, uh, second medal. So I was really good in physics. And um, uh, I remember my physics teacher, and I was number one in my country, obviously, and then, right. you know, second in the world. Uh, my physics teacher told me I will not make the cut in the country. My physics teacher, he knew how good I was, yet he told me, you're, you're great, but not good enough to make the cut. I kid you not. This is a very specific memory that I have. And I didn't hate him for it. <laughs> I remember it, you know. Now I'm 41 and I was like 15 years old or something at that time. I still remember it after so many years. Um, it didn't hurt me. If anything, I can say it gave me energy. So it, you know, that now I have like an extra motivation to prove him wrong. <laughs> and I did. So, you know, you can turn these things. I, I don't, I have a thick skin. I try to turn these things, any negative, I try to turn into positive. So those things, either don't hurt me or they actually motivate me to be even stronger. I, I, I love that. When, when I was, I'll share briefly, when I was 17, I started playing piano when I was 16. I was really late to, to the instrument. When I was 17, I decided I wanted to go to college. I dropped out of high school and said, I want to go to college and play piano. And the piano professors at University of Houston uh, laughed at me. He said, well, you can't, you've only been playing for a year and you don't even have a teacher. You can't come be a pianist. And so I went back for three years. I just practiced 10 hours a day, didn't go to school. And I came back and auditioned every semester for three years. And finally, after six auditions, I was good enough and they let me in. It's the same thing you're talking about. Like, for some reason, I just get pissed off. And I, I do, I, I, I externalize it as almost like hostility, like aggression. Like, like it makes me, it makes me want to show them. Are you, is that how you are? Like you want to show them, you want to prove them wrong or is it no, more just dude, like, like existentially you're, you're chill about it. <laughs> I, I, I'm chill about it. I, I understand what you're saying. You have that feeling for one moment. I just let it, you know, the, you know, the, the, you've probably heard that poet, this too shall pass. It's like, I, I try, I try to like ignore those feelings and let it kind of pass yeah. Uh, but I, you just, you can take that energy, whatever amount of energy. I mean, diff, listen, people are very different. We are emotionally also very different personality, emotionality. Some people react harder to external factors than some other people. Right. Mm -hmm. But, the, but, the, but in order to be successful, regardless of how much external factors impact you, you need to be able, you're going to have negative external factors and positive external factors. So you got to be able to absorb the positive and then absorb the negative as well and turn it into positive. So that's really the only way to do it. Now, how much you react to it, that's a different story, but got to be able to turn that negative into positive, turn negative into positive, you know, all the time. Yeah. And, and nowhere is that more obvious uh, in our society than on the internet. I mean, you run, you've run a lot more Facebook ads than me. I mean, you read the comments or at least you did it at some point, I'm sure. And it's crazy, right? <laughs> You're talking about internet trolls. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's brutal. I tell, I tell you something interesting. Uh, you know, I've run a lot mm -hmm. of advertisement, different businesses over the years. 
the best ads, the ones that convert the best, work the best are the ones that actually draw the most amount of haters. It's so it's like, true. Oh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like anytime. So in other words, here's another way to think about it. If your message is not powerful enough or your vision or what you're saying or whatever is not powerful enough to you know, pull out the haters out there, you're not doing a good job. Either the message is weak or your marketing is weak. So, mm. so you, it, it, it's actually part of the game. If, you, if what you do does not, if you don't have any haters, you're not making a difference in this world. Let me put it that way. Yeah, one of my, one of my marketing mentors who I've studied so much, Dan Kennedy says, um, you know, if you, if you haven't pissed somebody off by 11 o'clock, then you're not marketing hard enough. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, so, okay. So good. I'm glad, I'm glad we're talking internet. Um, and, and I, you know, hopefully I hope someday we can sit down and talk for hours. I can hear the whole story. Cause I just, I love good stories and you've got one, but if we could fast forward. So you come to America, you become a NASA scientist. I know there was a, a twist of fate where you, you were able to get a green card and able to get into school. And, you know, again, and you seem like a pretty humble guy. You've used the term luck a few times. And I'm going to tell you that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And clearly you're very intelligent. You work hard, you set goals, you go after the goals, you, you know, you do the work, but you become a NASA scientist and, and uh, you know, you said that you moved on at what age did you like 27, 28 is when you went into business. Uh, 20, if I'm not mistaken, 26. So I got my PhD at 24 and work at NASA for two years. So 26 or 20, okay. 26, I want to say. So, you know, doing some basic math, you, you walk across the border into Turkey at 20. Yeah. You come here, I assume it, you know, it took more than two days to get into school. Like you didn't just show up. Uh, and yet somehow by 24, you've got a PhD. I mean, let's not let that go uncommented upon. I broke every record in our department. Yeah. I mean, so. I, yeah, amazing. And so then you go, so by 20, and your, your entire career as a rocket scientist happens in two years. And then you're like, yeah, I'm going to go create an app. So, so let's pick up there. Accepting that we just totally cheapened your story by glossing over six years of amazingness in like five minutes. Um, <laughs> but let's pick up at the app. So you create an app called Zeus, right? Yeah. Tell me, can you pick up the story there? Like, cause it, it, it morphed and it evolved from what I understand. Yeah, so uh, I was, so while I was at NASA, there's two, like a year after I started at NASA, I started my MBA at Berkeley, uh, trying to get to hold my job at NASA and get an MBA at the same time. I've been thinking about entrepreneurship uh, for about, I want to say a year or two before that. But then I kind of like, I had this dream of being a scientist working for NASA, which I was doing. I, I was publishing papers, going to scientific conferences, presenting my work. But at the same time, I had an IR entrepreneurship. So basically 2007, I decided to take a jump, okay, and become an entrepreneur. And uh, one of the things that I always say is that, look, if you want to have asymmetric return in business specifically, and that was kind of my thesis at that time, you got to jump on a big trend, a macro trend, okay? That is a long-term trend. I'm, not, I'm never interested in short-term trends, right? A long-term trend 
you jump on it and you kind of figure out how to ride that trend and kind of take advantage of it. Basically, it's just basic. If you're trying to, if you go surfing or whatever you do, you have a sailboat, you need to kind of look at the direction of the wind, right? right. So it's true in business. You got to see what's, what are the macro trends. And the macro trend that I saw at that time was apps. And uh, I saw apps coming. This is to put it in perspective, iPhone app store, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't until 2008. So in 2007, when I started building apps, I was building Facebook apps. Mm. And it was so early in the app universe that when I told people we built apps, they really thought appetizers. They're like, you know, is it French cuisine or like that's how early I was on that trend, but I predicted the trend right. So what I did at that time was that I first started an app building company. I had an initial idea. Uh, so I started with that. But then what I did was the idea was not that great. So I can go into it, but it's kind of besides the point. Let's say I launched an app. It was actually a polling, multimedia polling apps, right? Uh, and back, then, back in the days, 2007. It was making a little bit of money, but it was not getting a lot of traction. So, uh, and I had, it was me, my co-founder and two engineers. So a team of four. And uh, at that point, I quit NASA and, I, I, and I, I had quit NASA and I quit Berkeley MBA too. I dropped out of Berkeley. And, um, and w- we were like, okay, so every week, this is October 2007 when we kind of officially like became a team. And I said, every week, we're going to come up with a new idea on Monday, implement it until Friday, test it on Saturday, launch it, launch it on Sunday. And then see what happens. And then next Monday, we come up with a new idea. And we did that every week from October to December <laughs> until I launched, an, I launched a dating app. And that app like took off. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's when I was like, okay, it's dating. The answer is dating app. And uh, that's when we pivoted into it. So it's a little bit of a experimental. I'm a, I, I, was, I still had my, I still wear my scientist hat a lot of times. So it right. was, it was like, okay. Another experiment, another week, another experiment. We go until we find the goal. Well, I, I, I want to kind of camp on that for a moment here, you know, with the, the millionaire secret idea. Like I uh, just pro- actually before we spoke, I spoke with a, a guy, Tim Story, who we had a great conversation. And, and that was the, the sole focus of our, not sole, but the, the primary focus of our conversation was around like trying to hone in on that one thing that people can take away. Mm-hmm. And I think this might be it for someone out there. There's a lot here. People are going to all take different things. But for someone, they need to hear this. So I want to make sure they do. You tested a new digital marketing, you know, Facebook integrated app concept every single week for three months straight. Exactly. You know, most people think of developing an app. They, well, they, I think, you know, they might think, well, it would take me, a, even if I knew what I was doing, it would take me a year. You're testing one a week with four guys, only two engineers. So that's rapid development, deployment, testing, and in marketing, we would call that the minimum viable product. That's exactly right. Model, right? Your MVP. And so you tested 12 MVPs in three months. Um, can, we, can we talk a little more about that? Because I think that the, the, the number one killer of entrepreneurial potential is I, I think people get stuck in the development and even the execution and not, not just doing enough things, just enough to figure out what the thing actually ought to be. 
100%. As a matter of fact, I tell you, entrepreneurship is probably the number one hazard to your health and mental well-being. And the number one reason where entrepreneurs suffer is because they're pursuing the wrong concept or idea. Mm -hmm. So everything you do in the first stages of a company, and nowadays I do something different. I buy the company with a proven model. But if you're starting companies, everything you do in the first stage of the company is about the single question. Is this a good idea? Or it's just a good idea in my head. Because if the market doesn't want your product, there is no reason, (laughs) no reason to pursue that idea forever. So that's why I'm like, you know, I always say, look, I I see, you know, I used to, uh, I, you know, a good friend of mine, he's a professor of entrepreneurship at Berkeley. And I went and guest lectured in his entrepreneurship class at Berkeley. So uh, at the end of the class, like people came with their projects and ideas, business ideas. And I look at them and I'm like, they're the smartest people. I mean, so these are like bright, young, energetic Berkeley students with a ton of potential. Mm-hmm. And they're pursuing what I think, again, it's my guess. It's a ding dong idea. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, I'm like, it's a waste of your talent and energy and life. Okay. But don't take my word for it. Spend the next two weeks, test it. See if it is actually the market wants it. Because if the market doesn't want it, why waste your best years, the most energetic years of your life, pursuing a terrible idea? It's just not worth it. We are, I always say, you know, in life, like I really think like people like they die for their businesses. They let their health go to nothing for their business. And I'm guilty of that too. But us as humans are more important than business ideas. We are more important than businesses. Humans, you. Right. Yeah, all these entrepreneurs, your life matters more than the business. So why waste your life pursuing a terrible business? So how do you teach people to, to test? I mean, I have my own ideas, but I'd like to hear your ideas. Like, how do you go crowdsource feedback on something that doesn't really exist yet? Well, there are, I mean, there are a lot of ways to do it. I mean, if you guys want, read uh, the book uh, uh, Blitz Scaling by Reid Hoffman or read uh, Lean Startup by, uh, by uh, I forget his name. Lean Startup is a well-known book. Yeah, yeah that's a good book. Yeah, so it's a, there are a lot of ways. Here's the overall concept. So you have, a, you have a product and you have a potential market for that product, okay? So one way is to go build that product in your, you know, in, your, in isolation, mm-hmm. perfect it, work on it for 25 years, then bring it to the potential market and see if the market actually wants a product. And maybe you're lucky. Maybe you spend, you know, a ton of money and time and build this product and bring it to the market and the market actually wants it. But why take that chance? Okay. So a lot of times what you can do is that instead of selling the product, you can sell the idea of the product. So you create the concept. Concept is a virtual thing. It's not an actual thing. Good example, Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Kickstarter is either a prototype or a video of of an idea. It's just basically you just do enough to be able to, to help a potential consumer imagine the product and then see if those consumers 
buy the product. If they don't buy the product, if you get like insane amount of demand, you instantly know that you're on the right track. You double down, triple down, go perfect the idea and produce it. If you're not getting enough attention on it, then there's something wrong with the concept. Either ditch that concept or improve the concept. On the internet, this is even, I mean, if you're not using Kickstarter and if it's not hardware, it's even easier. You can just sell the concept, you know, book pre-orders, product yeah. pre-orders. And I have actually, I tried something. I have done this in even like more extreme ways. Like you basically run a Facebook ad that goes to a page that doesn't even sell the product. Yeah, you yeah. just look at the click-through rate of the ad. You know what I mean? You can, you, or what we have done is that we create like a generic like ad and then we send it to a, a round robin selector that goes to different landing pages with different variations of the concept to see which one actually gets more signups. So it's, there are many ways to test this. Um, and um, I mean, it, again, uh, we don't want to get into all the details, but this is, is, is actually, if you think about it, if you take a uh, piece of paper and pen, you will be able to come up with a way. I mean, it's dependent, different for each product, but you can test it always. Yeah, those uh, I was talking to the guys at uh, Juice Labs in in New York, which is a big digital agency that does a lot of big brands and stuff. And they, that's like a huge part of their strategy is these ghost orders, mm-hmm. where you you take people to a page, you let them, you let you even let them check out, but you don't charge their card. Yes. And you just see if you get orders, right? And you don't waste any time. You know, I love what you're saying. And one of the things that drives me absolutely bonkers online is all of these coaches and gurus teaching people who want to be entrepreneurs that the model is to find your passion and go follow your path, build a business around your passion. Nah, I mean, I think, yeah, Mark Cuban has a, I think it's Mark Cuban who said, uh, uh, don't follow your passion. Your well, I, well, I don't know if it's Mark Cuban or not, but, the, but, beer, but here's a quote. Basically, don't follow your passion, follow progress. So where you make progress is what you need to pay attention to. And what you're passionate, passionate about, but it's not working, is not, um, is not necessarily where you want to apply your energy. Yeah, I, uh, I think it would be really helpful for people. You mentioned trading psychology, right? I think trading psychology is, it's almost like every entrepreneur should, should have to get a, get a real life crash course with their own money in being a trader so that you realize how, how absolutely essential it is to ditch bad ideas really quickly. That's right. Right. Which you'll do if all you're doing, all you're dealing with is the money. Yes. And then don't get right. There's a saying in trading, they say your first loss is your best loss. Mm-hmm. So it's just like cut your losses or cut your losses, let your winners run. So it's, it's so true. If your thesis is wrong, your idea is wrong, just cut it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm glad you heard it here, folks, from Alex Mayer, who's had a string of major successes uh, and who was the second smartest high school physics student in the world that you should not just follow your passion. Like, again, looking for that one thing, there's literally thousands of people that are going to hear this episode that that's, that's what they need to hear. Because unfortunately, you and I, right now in this moment, are fighting a cacophony of coaches and gurus and 
pseudo inspirers on YouTube that are telling people to follow their passion. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's sad and almost like abusive to me <laughs> to yeah, lead young people down that path. Um, yes. So the, okay. the common thing they say is, uh, what are you passionate about and follow that passion? And I'm like, what if you're passionate about something really stupid? So, I mean, do you? Yeah, and, and, and try to, try to def- you know, the, the idea of entrepreneurship to me is it's, a, it's its own game. Yes. And if you want to be passionate, I mean, I, I get it. We want to feel passionate about our work. Fall in love with the game. Yes. Right? And part of the game is to, to, be, to really, really manage your emotions really, really well, Right. But it doesn't mean you're not passionate. I'm fired up every day about what I do, but it doesn't mean I'm going to hang on to a bad idea or at least as long, once I realize it's a bad idea, right? And, and I try to, you know, uh, the, the opening line of The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck, he says, uh, sanity, something like, I'm going, to, I'm going to mess it up, but sanity is a commitment to seeing reality exactly the way it is, no matter what the price tag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't, be an, don't be an insane entrepreneur. Just be a sane entrepreneur and try to see things the way they are, right? Um, okay, so let's say you have a good idea. I'd, I'd like to ask you this, and, and I know we're, we're running short on time, but I, I got to ask you this because you have a track record of scaling businesses really, really, you know, to, to, to very high levels in, in a relatively frictionless way because you're just really, really good. And this is as a funnel hacker. You're really, really good at creating high conversions, uh, offers that, that monetize really fast. So you're not having, you're not upside down on the ad spend, having to wait a long time for them to back out. So you literally create fires that you can just pour gas on to grow. Right. So, so what, can you talk a little bit about now you're not going to convince me that you're just lucky with that, first of all, because there's a science to it. And I'd like to know a, how you got so good at it and B what you think the keys are to it. I still would say I'm lucky, but okay, <laughs> I, I, I tell you a little bit more, give you a little bit more color. There are two elements. If you want to scale big, see if you, if you want to scale big, there are two things you have to get right. Okay. The first one is, are you in the right market? Are you in the right market? Um, a lot of times people are in a tiny market. Okay. Tiny market that has natural limits. Right. And then they're wondering why they can't scale things. Well, I'm like, well, you're in it. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I don't like those. In fact, one of the things that I do is that I instantly try to assess if it, what is the maximum potential of an idea and there are ways to do it. Like you look at market size, right? And then you say, okay, so is this, if I win, if I'm good and if I can win in this vertical, how big can it get? And if it's small, I don't bother with it because no matter what you do, you cannot scale. So, you know, if you've read the uh, Art of War, one of the things is that you have to win the war, be able to win the war before you enter because if you're doomed to lose, why enter that war? So it's the first thing. Engage only in big battles. Like the vertical has, and I can, I can talk about that for hours, really. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of thinking I've developed that it helps me go into markets with products but be the right product but you have to also enter the right market otherwise you cannot scale doesn't matter how skilled you are right 
The second, the second thing that I can tell you guys is if you, if you have the right idea, you're attacking the right market, okay, at the right time, okay, the right product, right market. Actually, there are four elements that have to come together. Uh, the right product, the right market, the right team, and at the right time. So four elements. The moment you determine these four are all in place, then you do, you want to be like, whatever is your natural level of aggression, you want to be extra, 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 extra aggressive. Meaning it's like, basically it works almost, it's almost like, I know it's like having two diff, uh, conflicting ideas in your head. So at the, in the first stages, be super like testing and be small and try to determine if the, all the four elements are in place. Mm -hmm. But then once you've determined it is the case, be extra. I'm so aggressive when I know I'm onto something right, when I have built conviction, that it's just like you just dominate the market. You like plow <laughs> marketing and advertising and resources at your idea because there's a halo effect. So businesses that are good and right, they don't scale linearly. So initially, there, it is linear. So you have like a CPA cost per acquisition. You're getting one user after another. But if it is the right product, you pour gasoline and you become super aggressive. Then it just like the curve lifts up. So the actual rewarding part of the curve is actually at the end. If you're super timid, after you have determined that it's the right product, you will never experience that hockey stick. Does that make sense? So yeah. you need oh, yeah. to yeah, you first make sure that you have everything, all, all your ducks in order. You're in the right market with the right product at the right time with the right team. Once you have that, then it's time to go. It's time to like, you know, overwhelming force basically just attack that market. Yeah. So. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very validated and encouraged by what you're saying because it's literally what I'm doing right now with my education company. And it's, you know, it, it it works. I'll say this, what you're saying works, but it's also, I understand in this moment, I can speak to what people might think as they're hearing you say that as someone who's literally in the middle of doing that right now. Um, it's scary. Yes. There's a fear about, about actually going, not just doubling down, but doubling down on your double down. And then the next month, doubling down on your double down of your double down. And I mean, you know, for us, it's like, Okay, so we, we, we flatline, or, you know, we teeter revenues and kind of a little putter up and down for a year while we're testing and optimizing. And then we go, I love it, product, market, timing, and team. And we felt like five months ago, we're like, hey, we got it. Boom, double ad spend and trust the process. It backs out. Okay, great. Double ad spend again and trust the process. And it backs out. And all of a sudden, your mind starts to tell you these stories. You go, oh, well, this might be the month that the algorithm changes or the environment changes or market psychology changes or there's a black swan event and everything. And you're like, and if I get caught with my pants down, it'll be like a housing bubble. But the thing is, I, I like what you said. If you have the product, the market, the team and the timing, and you've taken the time to put the infrastructure in place and test and, and build organic deserved confidence, that's what you work so hard for. Right. And you have to, you have, that's the game of entrepreneurship. And again, if you're going to be passionate about something, be passionate about that. Yeah. I tell you, I give you an analogy, um, an airplane, 
right? So in order for an airplane to fly, you have to have the body, the wings, you have to have the engine, you have to have the control system, everything in place, okay? But then if you build the airplane, all the elements are in place, but when you're on the runway, you don't push the throttle you know, hard enough to achieve the necessary speed to take off, you reach the end of the runway and you crash. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you, and also if your airplane is not airworthy, doesn't have all the elements, it doesn't fly to begin with, no matter how fast you go. Right, so right. You have to have both things. You have to have everything in your airplane done and ready. But then once you're in it and you're starting to fly, you can't be like, oh my God, I'm going too fast. I'm going to crash because that's, that's the moment where it's kind of like two different things. You do go, you know, pilots, when they sit, you know, in the cockpit, they have a checklist. They go through everything, everything, you know, they check everything. Mm -hmm. So they're timid and timid is not the right word. They're cautious and calculating at the beginning before they <laughs> decide right. to take off. But then once you're taking off, you can't not push the thing down and go fast enough. You will never fly. You will crash in fact. So it's like two different things. You've got to go from one extreme to the other extreme. And that's, I think, a good analogy. I tell you, I've been doing internet advertising since 2007, 2008. Uh, and every year, every month, people have told me, oh, the CPMs are going to go down. This, da, 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 da. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. Your model is going to break. Guess what? I'm like, <laughs> you know, right. 12 years into it and things are, I mean, yes, little things change, no question, but the concepts are still the same. <laughs> so, Well, I, I love your pilot analogy because, you know, like I said, for us, and I can't help but map this to my own experience because I'm living it right now. But for us, we were, we were the pilot that said, okay, check, 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 check. Oh, wait, hold on. Why is that light flashing? Oh, mm -hmm. hold on. Call the mechanic. Get under. Oh, you know what? Hold on. We got to call in a part. Ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry. The we're pulling back up to the gate. The flight's going to be delayed. It could be three hours. It could be four hours. For us, it could be six more months. Right. That doesn't mean you go, well, shit, I guess planes can't fly. Right. Exactly. No, it means you, you, do, you give it what it takes, right? You swap out the part and you, you deal with the fact that all the passengers are frustrated and you might even have to let them off the plane because it's getting hot and you deal with all of it because planes fly. And online offers scale. And when they scale, it's the most amazing frictionless scaling experience in business history because the internet is unlike anything that ever existed before. And you can go, you, you can go to the moon. This is the, this is the message I preach about why digital, why online, right? I mean, you guys are, are you, you took over Dress Barn, right? Yes. So Dress Barn was an offline retailer, shopping centers, parking lots, square footage, you know, right. air conditioning expenses, right? And what are you, what, do, do, and, and I, you know, I had the internet chatters, right? And I hear the chatter and I think I know, but what is the plan with Dress Barn? We turn it into, and that's actually what we do. So we right. buy these massive brands and we turn them from, you know, retail brick and mortar model to e-commerce. It's actually a pretty simple model. Mm -hmm. So, and e-commerce, you know, yes, it is, it involves physical products. Still, you send people your, it's not a digital offer, but it is scalable as much as you can buy and ship products. So that's literally the idea. So you kind of 
it's kind of like, okay, I buy the brand. Uh, think of it as a fuselage of an airplane, okay? Mm -hmm. So you buy it, you change the engine. It's like prop plane, <laughs> you put jet engines on, da-da-da-da-da. Right. And then you test it, go through your checklist. All right, okay, this is going to work. You just, you know, throttle a little bit. Okay, the engines are providing thrust now, so blah, blah, blah. So, okay, it looks good. Let's go. So <laughs> that's kind of what we do. Yeah, that, and, and good. I mean, the chatter is, is right, at least regarding that project. That's what everybody says. Oh, they're, they're taking Dress Barn online. And, it's at a, it, and I, I bring that up because, again, I'm always evangelizing. That, you know, for me, if you're starting a business in this day and age, I mean, unless you're, unless you're a painter and, mm -hmm. and what you want to do is sell your paintings. Mm -hmm. but, but even if that was your business, why would, you would still do it on the Internet. Yes. Like there's, I, it makes no sense to me that the world of entrepreneurship still has these franchising conventions and people buying pest control franchises and snap on tool trucks and spending $2 million to open a McDonald's. And I'm just like, hear me people. It's the, the internet is where it's at. And so that's why I asked you about that. That if, if the internet can fix dress barn, I promise it's good enough for everyone listening to this show. That's right. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, this has been, been epic. I, I wish we didn't have to go, but I know we both do, Alex. Um, I, I appreciate so much you coming on Millionaire Secrets. Real quick, how can people go uh, get into your world and follow you and learn more? Uh, Instagram, at Dr. Alex. Doctor is spelled out. Okay, Dr. Alex, and I'll make sure we get that link for everyone. Uh, we've put together a, a link on our site that's your link. It's millionairesecrets.com forward slash Alex M, where people can get a free copy of our uh, Millionaire Shortcut ebook, The Fastest Way to Become a Millionaire in the Digital Economy. And I'll go ahead and do a reveal. We're going to tell you to start an online business. Just heads up. Big, big shocker. Um, thanks again for being here, man. Is there anything else that you want to share, a, a website you want people to go to, anything else about you or your world? I'm good. I just want to tell you guys one thing. You can try to learn entrepreneurship through trial and error. There are people who have done that, I assume. <laughs> yeah. But all the successful ones and all the ones that become successful before 95 years old, they have learned through other people. Mm -hmm. And books, the re one reason I read books and, uh, you know, and you also create these programs and we have programs is that is like, why not learn from the others? And that's not just in entrepreneurship. In fact, in every aspect of your life, imagine trying to become a UFC fighter without ever taking a jujitsu class, you know, right. it's just, you know, you know what, I'm going to learn how to fight on my own from scratch. Everybody will laugh at you. Then why do you try to do other things in your life that way. I see that's a common mistake that I see. I think I'm going to leave your audience with that message. Please learn from other people's success and failures. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you again, Alex, for being on Millionaire Secrets. And thank you out there to the audience. Love and appreciation. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entranation.com. 
That is www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.